It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the intro. Not right now. It's happening now. No, no, no. I will start with your name. Okay. Are we ready to go? Sure. It's not the enthusiasm I want. (laughs) Sounds a bit like foreboding. Yeah. I'm going to start with your name. I'm going to call you out. Okay. Maybe include this, I don't know. Is it funny? Uh, I think I might include it. Fine. Is it funny? <laughs> anyway, Craig. <laughs> David. It was put to me this week that um, I, I guess, dominate the show because I do the intro and you never do the intro. Yeah. And so, so some listeners of the of the podcast might have the impression that this is like the Dave Hanratty show. Experience. I like to call it the Dave Hanratty experience. I like to call it extravagant D in the big band, but but essentially... I don't like to call it that. That's fair. Um, I, I tried to explain that. I was like, Craig's not my sidekick or anything. He's no, my, no. He's my co-host. And so <laughs> I'm... I'm not your co-host. I am the co-host. <laughs> oh man, I fucked <laughs> it up. With the co-host. <laughs> yeah, you're the ghost with the most. I watched Beetlejuice the other night. It's, it's spooky season. Um, oh yeah. How's, how are you getting on with your Halloween... What is it? 31 Days of Horror. Horror films. I've watched yeah, eight horror day. films in the last uh, so you're ahead five of days. Yeah, including Blonde. The Marilyn Monroe... I hear that's horrific, yeah. It is horrific, and it's designed to kind of be horrific. All these people saying, like, oh, it's like a David Lynch movie. It is not. And it's also terrible, which is a shame, because it's directed by Andrew Dominic, who made The Assassination of Jesse James by the character Robert Ford, which is still the best film I've seen in the last 15 years. But this film is trash. I'm sorry. It sucks. It's terrible. Don't watch it. Don't apologize. Anyway, never apologize, never explain. Um, In the the words of the late, great Queen Mother, I believe that was her mantra. Never apologize, never explain. That was the Queen's... Man's I thought it was a hip hop thing. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been a hip hop thing. I don't know. Anyway, look. The point is, uh, I don't want people to think that this is some kind of one man operation, and that's why. Do people think that? Well, at least a three man operation. At, le- at least one think? person. Uh, hey, I'm a face in the background. It's okay. It's more that I was accused. Who is this person? I'm not going to say. <laughs> I, it was more that I was accused of, like, I guess you know, doing the intro, and thus maybe like but re- I feel relegating like regular to- listeners of the show should know I don't like doing the intro. I feel like it insists upon itself. It's but just that's too why. I'm inviting you on this episode to do it. Hit the music, Adam. Fork it out.
Welcome to No Encore. I'm That's Craig for Patrick. Intro. That's my intro. Oh fuck off! What do we have? Do I have to stick to your wording? Is that the show's wording? And go on, you deliver it. Then go on. No, go on. This is. <laughs> There's a very. I'm be, what? There's a critique of my intro. This is specific. This is not in the spirit of the gesture of doing the. If intro. you were hosting a talk show and they had an intro line that they've stuck to, <laughs> you would do the line, say the line. That's the whole. I don't think I do the line when I, when you're off. Do I? Can you start? Do I do the line? Let's not do the line. I usually mix it up. Can you start the music again, please, Adam? I can. Is the name? <laughs> That's it, right? Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dave is rubbing his eyes. This is no encore. What's up, Dave? How are you? Hello, Craig. Hello, Craig. No, 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 no. Look, I gave you a chance. That's all I'm saying. Um, and I'm going to give you a chance, listener, to tune in. Take a chance, take a chance. To a brand new episode of no encore. Uh, fitting that when Craig arrived at the door there, you said it's fucking Baltic. Yeah, it is. And I've got a cold. Oh, no, wait, well, we're doing... Well, I'm getting a cold, though. I don't think I'm... Why don't you introduce the top five, then, which we're we're doing later in the show? Top five songs about the cold. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's been... It's the weather's turned, I guess it's hard to say. It's been... Yeah. Did we put any parameters on this one? No. We didn't, um... I was trying to avoid kind of alternative Christmassy songs. You could go down that route. I wanted to stick to the actual, the coldness itself rather than like nice songs about snow. Mm-hmm. I had to get quite defined to cut out some options. Um, how about you? Similar. Yeah. Um, I kind of went literal, but we'll talk about that later on. By the way, I'm going to, I'm just, fair warning, I'm going to sneeze at some point probably during this recording. Okay. Probably. You're on the other side of the room, I feel okay. Okay. I've definitely got a cold, I always have a cold, so it's, you know, some class of cold will be in my system. Am I I sounding good? Do I have a husky, Phoebe? Not enough. Not enough. I don't think, yeah, yeah. Not tomorrow. Um, Maybe you got, it's you got tomorrow. Fully, you got a fully. I'm way. I'm singing stereophonics. The only stereophonics song I ever want to hear sung is Mr. Writer. I, I was thinking about that this week for some reason and just Great being song. like, what a ridiculous song Great to put song. out as a single. Mr. Writer, why don't you tell it like it really is? Written because. Oh, that's interesting. I don't. I don't really. Well, who's recall. he? Who's he taking aim at? Well, journalists. Critics, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what did they specifically said about Kelly Jones? I, I got a bad album review or something, maybe, possibly. Oh, was that it? And that's also so where... He's basically saying, why don't you say that our music is good? Yeah, that's where the... Um, yeah, Tell Like It Really Is. Uh, the fucking... Like, the title of the album is in the lyric when he says, you know, you have, in my own view, just enough education to perform. Which is... Wayne Rooney has a tattoo. Thank you. Not yeah. a very good one. I, I can't remember what it looks like. I do think it's quite a clever title. It's okay. And it kind of fits Rooney. I remember him talking about it being like... (laughs) By the way, still, to this day, the greatest name in football to shout. Rooney. Yeah, it's got everything. It's got those two big open syllables, the vowel sounds. It doesn't get better than Rooney. What about Aguero? No. No, 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 we don't talk about that. No, we don't. What about... I I used to really enjoy the the stylings of Barry Davis, the best commentator, when he would say stuff like, Oh, Enrico Chiesa, like that kind of stuff, you know? (laughs) Always enjoyed that. It's dangerously close to your zippy. Everything is. And your bane. And my Jeremy Irons and Die Hard 3. John, John, John. <laughs> you got his number. Uh, anyway, look. 
If you want to get our number, <laughs> it's patreon.com slash noencore. Get those numbers up. There's a new noencore coming out soon. We're going By the way, we're not, we're not giving out our numbers just to so give us money. <laughs> That's not the operation Win a date with here. Craig. <laughs> so this is what happens when I don't have a running order in front of me because I don't have one in front of me. Do you want to throw it to the news? Sure. Let's do it. It's time for the news. Hey, you heard about the good news? Can I just say... Can I just say? Go ahead. That's the only Kanye West conversation we'll be having on the entire show. Oh yeah, there's I been some Kanye I don't have the movement. fucking strength for it. I just don't. So please, Craig, put together the new section this week. I have also like the fact that you're like, I don't have a running order. I don't know what happens next in the show. Well, I know <laughs> that section. Kanye's been doing bad things, and I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Which fine, might be cowardly, but I'm not excusing. It. I think it's bad. I he's think... looking for attention. I yeah. believe. Let's he's not got, give it to him. He's got new a new fashion line out or Let's something. Oh no, I've him. done it. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what he wanted. Craig's going to talk about death now. Can we actually make this quick? Not to be disrespectful I just don't really want to dwell on the sad people. passing of Coolio yeah. yeah which happened was it the, the night we recorded last week we recorded early it, yeah. it was the night after it was the early because we recorded day early and it was like yeah Thursday morning essentially Thursday morning the early yeah. hours of Thursday morning which is something that seems to happen quite regularly with this show where we just miss kind of tragic stuff like that um, yeah no, so Coolio passed away at the age of 59 in LA um, big kind of part of my childhood I immediately went to to what? Keenan and Kel. Thank you. Yeah. And that was a guest listener. Seminal. Absolutely seminal. Too good, I would say. The show? It's, the show was quite good, I must say, but... The theme tune. The theme tune was better than it needed to be. Yeah, it was very I good. always respected him for that. Yeah. Um, were you a fan of Coolio? You're probably slightly too old to be kind of... No, on the Holland second. I remember. I'm, I'm older than you. <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm like four I'm years old. Just imagining you Jesus. being a super jaded nine year old. I probably was. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I of course, Gangsta's Paradise was the big one. That was a huge song for everybody in the '90s, myself very much included. Uh, and he's been a bit of a character over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, I believe he was on like Celebrity Big Brother, and he was. A bit of a troublemaker. I, I don't know. I have, I didn't at some see, point. Yeah, I didn't see his cooking show. He's endorsed Versatile, of course, even, even quite recently. He seems to be in Ireland a lot. Yeah, he's And got, popping yeah. up in, like, just random people's gaffes and a um, bit of a character. But yeah, like, he, when I was a kid, he was he was probably my Tupac, in a way. He wow. was just, I was like, this man must be the greatest rapper in the world. Did when you I own was a like, Coolio CD? Five, uh, I did, indeed. When Gags Paradise was out, and obviously it was in the charts for ages, I remember, like, watching chart rundowns and... It was around that age where you start like having some ownership over artists and kind of songs and stuff you like. And I remember kind of like following it as if it was like a football team mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, he's, he's moved up a place. Come on, Coolio. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Did you? Mid 90s Cantona and Coolio was where it was after. Cantona me. and Coolio sounds like the best strike, yes, strike force United never had. <laughs> yeah. Can you, um, uh, you name the film that Dangerous Minds. Oh, for f- I just fucking. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You can tell I'm having a week. Um, yeah, and Michelle Pfeiffer was one of the first people, I think, to pay tribute to oh, was she? him and the song. Yeah, she That's said, cool. like, every time I hear it, it's still just it chills, um, which is fair enough. It's it is a great tune. song. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, R.I.P. to Coolio, and we yes, don't have to linger on. Um, rest in Coolio. He's only 59. Yeah. Um, However, uh, 31 years his senior... Yeah, Loretta Lynn also passed away. Um, an artist that I don't know her back catalogue that extensively, obviously a huge kind of force in country music and changed a lot of people's perceptions of women in the genre. And I think my encounters with her music were when she was kind of adopted by younger musicians in the kind of indie sphere. Like Jack White. Like Jack White did yeah. that Van Leer Rose album. And um, it was that rare thing of like country was still seen as 
and probably actually most definitely is still still seen as kind of slightly uncool but like outside of Johnny Cash maybe Amy Lou Harris and she was one of those people that seemed to have that cachet across genres so um, yeah sad passing I believe in the chat you were just like good innings 90 <laughs> so first of all I should say go check out the top five country songs that we did on yeah. the encore because it was best and worst and some of the worst were unreal Loretta Lynn so of course good. would never be in the worst no. because she was a country legend and quite a lyrical genius as well and yeah I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know her back catalog because I don't but obviously you know a towering figure and I did say good innings because uh, we have a group chat in which uh, has just kind of you know I'd say the traffic in that chat has slowed down quite a bit unfortunately as everyone you know moves on to doing adult life stuff but it does exist as a weird place where when a celebrity dies yeah someone in the chat will rush into the chat the second the announcement comes out and in block capitals they will say Loretta Lynn down <laughs> Now, it sounds disrespectful, but please know it is. It's infused with respect. It it's is. It's all caps, and it's a dramatic moment, and it's a, we all pay homage. Someone even said recently there, like, I, I learned of all the celebrity deaths now from this group. It's not like a morbid fascination, it's just become a thing. Yeah. Um, and I will say, one of the guys put in the Loretta Lynn down, and, and it's, it has to be in caps, by the way. If it's not in caps, it's probably because it's actually tragic, you know. A 90-year-old person passing away. It's not really tragic. Yeah. Um, it probably stems from the fact there's a, I did say a good, good number of... Because um, 90 is good innings. Yeah, of course it is. Um, there's a, quite a, a number of journalists or people with journalism backgrounds in the chat, so it just becomes yeah. a thing of just like, have you heard the breaking news? It's a weird exactly. reflex. Yeah, yeah, it's like a front-page news <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah. Hold, yeah, it's, it's proper, like, stop you know, the stop the presses. Yeah, like that's kind of what it is. So, like, I mean, it's... But it is... There's times when, like, the chat can be so slow uh, at a certain point that, like, if you look back, it's, like, three in a Stop row or breathing. something. Yeah, it's just like... Okay, we need to rectify that. Yeah. Um, infuse it with content. Okay, well, someone that we won't be all-capsing soon, hopefully, hopefully, is Roger Waters. Yeah. He thinks he will be, though. He seems to think he's at risk, yeah. Uh, Roger Waters, in an interview with Rolling Stone, has claimed to be on a Ukrainian kill list. I think I saw votes. them playing Fibbers, right? Ukrainian kill list? <laughs> Did I steal my laptop? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, have, we, have we revealed this on the show before? No, I don't think so. Oh, uh, Craig has laptop stolen and yeah, his headphones in and fibers. Uh, After Donnie's album birthday the next day with all my safe stuff, my oh, day's work got still on it. Hell um, of a night. It was fine. A lot of things happened. Yeah. Don't go to Fibbers on a Thursday night, maybe. Or any night. It's a hell of a place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, can, can I, like, seeing as you brought it up, I'll, I'll just tell this real quick, because I did find it very funny. Thank you. I put up, when, when we were there that night, I put up a photograph on my Instagram of uh, Hugh Carr, friend of the show Hugh Carr, uh, playing pool. And we, yes. were, we, were, we were all playing pool at one stage. And uh, so there was like a bunch of, of pool tables visible in the shop. And the next morning, a reply to that uh, photo I put up from none other than Dave Balfe of For Those I Love fame, who's a big pool and snooker guy. Yeah. And apparently very good. So I guess he's like on a mission to play everywhere he can. I think when he goes on tour, he will literally put up stuff like anyone know any good pool halls near such oh, and such. Okay. So he's a, he's a pro um, of sorts. Um, I don't think he's actually a professional, but I'm sure he's very good. But he replied and he was like, where is this, Dave? It was very sincere. I always love when he messages me because, you know, it's, it's sporadic and he's, he's a very nice guy. So he goes, where is this, Dave? And I said, I said, it's in Fibbers, would you believe? And he was like, block caps, that's in Fibbers? He was like, <laughs> he was like what the fuck? And I said, yeah, man, weird, right? I said, first time I was there since 2006 after a brand new gig that I went to in a tripod, oh, wow. I believe. I forgot how, like, cavernous it is. It, it's massive. lost in that place. Uh, it's it's gigantic and it's very very weird but I then said yeah and I said it was a weird night I said Craig poor Craig had his laptop and headphones stolen so maybe yeah. don't go there and 
Dave Paul, for those I love, replied and said, he goes, oh man, that's terrible. He goes, I'd be on the Warpath. And then he goes, Warpath, one of the great Fibbers bands. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> it fucking totally is, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, anyway. but, um, that's why I always preferred the Mez, you know. Wouldn't have happened in the Mez. Wouldn't happen in the Mez. The, the theatre of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... so the only time the Mez has ever been we used to get I don't think it is. We, we, we had a weird top spot we, for the meds for about a year. We had a weird, yeah, a very, very we strange We had one run. good night there. It was. It just became this thing. Yeah. yeah. It's the fucking meds. If you um, build it, they will come type situation. Oh, totally, totally. Anyway, go on. Roger Waters is scared for his life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. Do you believe him, though? So, yeah, he's claiming that, you know, his, his outspoken nature of things. Yeah. He's also very, like, you know, he believes that, like, when, whenever Russian war crimes are reported, that they're just made up by the Ukrainian government. Yeah, he does seem to be. Um, I've seen a, a number of clips with him in recent months, and he's ve- very much veering on the the West is lying completely, Fake and news, look at it from yeah. Russia's point of view. And I don't know, it's interesting. Here's this quote: "Don't forget, I'm on a kill list that is supported by the Ukrainian government. I'm on the fucking list, and they've killed people recently. But when they kill you, they write liquidated across your picture. Well, I'm one of those fucking pictures." Um, so yeah, that's what's happening and yeah, obviously huge kind of political presence at the moment and on his tour he's been doing these montages of like quote unquote war criminals the big one was like he'll display Joe Biden people are like, what? (laughs) Fairness, you know kind of with Roger Um, but yeah, he's he's not going to back down though, is he? He's one of those 70s rock stars. Not until some Ukrainian hitman turns up at a gig. Uh, please, hopefully this never happens. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, it's Roger Waters, though, isn't it? I mean, this is kind of what we come to expect. I mean, like, they do have lists, and they do have lists of, like, enemies of the state, um, and, like, fucking Irish politicians have popped up on them recently, celebrities have popped up on them recently, but they're more like, you know, independent bodies that are like, we deem these people... Actually, no, sorry, I'm thinking of Russia now, aren't I? Yeah, I feel like who, Ukraine has it's a bit more doing that. Yeah, on their yeah. plate at the moment than tracking down a former Pink Floyd member. I, I did see another thing, though, that just in passing today, I saw like a tweet that said, like, um, between his comments about Ukraine and Israel... Uh, the f- like someone was speculating that the remaining band members of Pink Floyd would be like, shut the fuck up, we're trying to sell our back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. This isn't helping. Oh, very much so. They can't stand them. It's been... Well documented. <laughs> well, well documented. Yeah. Um, moving on to Bjork, who is no such <laughs> truck with Russia or... I don't know. Ukraine or... Let's not go there. New album out. She's got a new album out. Have you had a listen? No, I've, um, I've been busy listening to the Slipknot album. Can we talk about the Slipknot album yes, for a second? Yes, let's get into Slipknot for a second. Let's Sorry, slip Bjork. down a Slipknot rabbit hole. Sure. Sorry, Bjork fans. Slipknot put out there. We're not, we're not doing an album review this week. Um, we haven't done one for a long time. Um, <laughs> we talked about doing it or doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig can say that that was good or, or bad. Maybe we'll talk about it on the Oxcord. I don't know. But the point yeah, is, Slipknot released their seventh album, The End So Far, which is also them ending their contractual arrangement with Roadrunner Records. Now, this album was apparently recorded a while ago, but like it's taken a long time to get out. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm the resident Slipknot fan in the in the room. And uh, people might want to know what I think of it. Uh, I think after listening to it for much of the last week, it's with a heavy heart that I say it's it's lower tier Slipknot. It's not great. And I like the first half of it, maybe. And then it just gets very generic. And some of the lyrics are just completely nonsensical. Um, and some people, including Sonic Architect Adam, who I played some of it for there on his magnificent speakers in the studio, has very much been like, this sounds terrible. And I've seen some sentiment online being like, it sounds awful. They worked with a producer called uh, Joe Barese, who has previously worked with Tool, Queens of the Stone Age, and many more. And Fine pedigree. Yeah, but apparently, like, I mean, like, 
the process wasn't fantastic and it's, it'd be rare enough for Slipknot to come out and say this isn't great but Jim Root who I did interview when he was over for the Point 3 Arena gig a while ago lovely yeah. fella got a very, very nice photo as well got a good photo yeah in, locked in an embrace I look, like a, I, look yeah. like a, I look like a child uh, and he's very he's, <laughs> he's very, adorable because I'm smiling like an idiot and he's a very tall and he's, man yeah he's huge uh, he wasn't wearing his mask though which is a shame because I thought it would look cool or on camera and also the photograph would have been like especially cool but he's a good looking dude good for him um, and he was cool I liked him a lot but um, he, re- he revealed some misgivings about the recording process and said that I felt that we weren't prepared for Joe Barese and I feel like we we're not able to use him to his fullest extent. We did not do pre-production. We essentially built this record in the studio. A lot of that was due to COVID and us being separated and the circumstances led us to do the record the way it was done. With my mindset being the way it was, I didn't have a ton of creative input. I felt kind of rushed trying to come up with ideas for this or that arrangement. We weren't rehearsed as a band. Jesus. We did not come in knowing the songs top to bottom and that affected the album. Put us behind schedule. It had us not really arguing and fighting with each other but trying to figure it out like what is the best approach or do we know what we're doing. You can make a plan and you can plan as much as you want with a big clock above your head and the budget from the label all the stuff the studio we were at and all the scheduling so many factors against us and I'm surprised we were able to finish it uh, then it took us so long to get it out compared to how long it took us to track it it's like well if it took us this long to get it out then we could have taken our fucking time with pre-production and in my mind put out a better product that's not to say that we're disappointed with what we're putting out well, I think it kind of is and you go, yeah. it's, it's just where we're at it's what we're able to do given the circumstances blah 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 but it's like the movies. Directors will say constantly that they never finish a movie, they just abandon them. I feel like more than anything with this album, we had to abandon it and move on. And Clown said, it's not a record. It's not a Slipknot record. What? But we're still touring on the We Are Not Your Kind tour. And by the way, here are some songs. Well, you can say that, but we're putting a fucking record out. And to the fans, this is a fucking Slipknot record. No matter what you say, that's what it is. I'm Adam, very confused. Adam, as a producer and as someone who listened to a few songs of this and did not like the sound of it, what do you think? Also, shout a bit because you've no mic. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to move towards Craig. Okay, he, oh, a, Adam is going to come over to the microphone Very for just a second. I hope I don't sneeze. Now, Adam hasn't heard the full album, but in fairness, I have seen people on the Slipknot, the Slipknot Reddit, which I actually never would normally go to, just to see what the reaction was. And I will say, it is one of the most divided responses I've ever seen. And even a really, really good friend of mine, my great friend David O'Brien, who makes excellent music, by the way, under the name of Envoy, if you're in the market for soundtracks and that kind of stuff, industrial, Dave's great. Dave's a huge Slipknot fan, and when he finally got around to listen to this one, he came. He gave me some feedback, and my response to his feedback was, "I went. I've never seen you so down on a Slipknot record, Adam." Oof, uh, like just on that brief blast we had. Um, now I can't claim to have listened to the full record. I haven't. The two songs I heard sound really bad. So, like, what was the producer's name? Dave Barese? Joe Barese. Joe Barese. Yeah. So, um... Franco Barese. <laughs> Italy legend. John Barese. Um, so, I don't think that's down to him. I think the sound on the record is down to the mix engineer. Oh. Um, so I am shelving a serious amount of blame on them because it doesn't, like, it doesn't sound good. It really doesn't sound good. I don't know who recorded it as you well. You said it sounded mid. It's it, <laughs> Not quite. I said there was a lot of mid, mid range <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, Adam wasn't using the popular Which internet Which is slightly term. different. Mid. I don't even... I'm not going to lie to you, Dave. I don't know what that is. Right? <laughs> it means mediocre, I believe. Okay, yeah. right. Well, I, at best, I would say. Um, like, I've listened to Slipknot records in the past. They sound ten times better than that. It sounds really dated. Like... The for just for context, the monitors that we were listening on are flat response. So what you're getting is yeah. you're getting like a 
pretty true representation of what the actual thing is. It sounded shit. It's so two-dimensional. Like, really, really two-dimensional. Um, not what I would have expected from Dave's OG Slipknot. Yeah, uh, let's hand the microphone back to Craig real quick because I did send Craig the opening track of the album called Adderall. I liked it. <laughs> very, very divisive track. I like the opening it's track very, as well. very, very different. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I gave it a couple of spins and I thought it was interesting. I didn't listen to the rest of the album and I probably won't now. I'm just baffled by how, at this point in their careers where they've nothing to prove, how do, do they get locked into a thing where they're like, there's a deadline the label, we have to deliver something. Why do they well, have they to had deliver a deal, something? They, I think they signed like, an, like a huge deal with Roadrunner Records back in the day. This is their seventh album and their last album on the contract. I don't know if that was their original ever contract oh, or okay. if they extended it, but Corey Taylor in an interview as well with Zane Lowe did say he was like, Roadrunner is a shadow of its former fucking self and we're delighted to be edited, uh, to be an independent band now. So, so this is it. That was They were just like, let's get like, fucking out of this situation. Maybe. It just, and also, it just seems absolutely bizarre. But anyway, Bjork... Bjork's happy. Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently her album's very good. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, I gave it a spin. Um, it's It sounds incredible. The mix is brilliant. The sonics are wonderfully architectured. Um, kind of the hooks and songs maybe aren't quite there, which has been the case for some of her more recent albums. Um, but yeah, she's a force of nature. And she's been talking about Kate Bush and how pleased she's been with the success of Running Up That Hill because, of course, Stranger Things, which I've delved back into. Did you? And yeah, it's very, there's a lot of it. How far are I'm you like into it now? three episodes in and oh, okay. I'm just like, I've watched three feature films. Yeah, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, one more season and then we're out. <laughs> but <laughs> Like Slipknot. Yeah, Bjork said she can't even start to describe her happiness um, that the song was dominating the charts again, basically because she remembered how dismissive male critics used to be of both Kate Bush and herself back in the day, which is very true. She said how, like, in the 80s and 90s, um, critics were often preoccupied with, quote-unquote, rock guys singing about, quote-unquote, tits, beer, and heroin abuse. I think that was the... the uh, night out. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the, uh, the working title for the first Pigeon Detectives album. Yeah. <laughs> she felt that, quote, writing from a woman's point of view was considered a lesser art form. She says, I was always quite offended by how often Kate Bush was written about like she was insane or a crazy witch, which is, yeah. Oh yeah, this mad woman on the moors type stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, or me being a, a crazy elf, which was, yeah, like it, exactly that, how she was described persists, in every the Q article People I read. People still do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the mad elf of Iceland or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Uh, we are producers. I've written all my scores for 20 years. You know, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that because people still want to want me to be a naive elf. If we were guys, we would be taken more seriously. Finally, Gen Zers can imagine a woman's production or a woman's world and it not seem insane or a thing that they have to ridicule or be scared of. And yeah, it is very true. As you were saying there, they were both... Like every article you go back through, it just seems like they've got no agency. They're just these kind of like mischievous, magical beings that are just doing things on a whim. And it's like, no, they're proper producers. They're over every aspect of the work. It's very like there's a lot of craft in it and it's very deliberate and they'd be seen as I know they're held in huge esteem but well, this the, is, I mean like uh, how far like this kind of makes the argument of like how far does a snarky misogynistic review even travel because both we're talking about Kate Bush and Bjork we're talking about two of the most successful artists of yeah. their generation which isn't to dismiss what they're saying at all or diminish it but like I think that the truth will out here in that yes. like the work stands for itself 
the fan base, the critics who do, in fact, tune into the right frequencies and don't make ridiculous commentary. Like, I just wondered, like, did it matter if some guy wrote a dumb... Not not did it matter, but I don't think it had a negative impact on them. But it, not not that it should be endorsed, because like, obviously, like, it's very lazy and reductive and, you know... Yeah, just they were still in the spotlight. I suppose just the kind of light that was being shed on them was just, like, it wasn't an accurate representation of who they were sure, as yeah. artists. Um, yeah, I was kind of baffled that even... I can't imagine Bjork reading press or a magazine or she just seems someone that's so like beyond that in terms of her art and like I don't know I guess artists are just fucking people that are you know curiosity gets the better of you and you're like I'm gonna read the fucking latest review of my album yeah uh, artists are people too what else have you got in the news section I'm conscious that we've talked for quite a bit already yeah speaking of naive elves uh, Ian Brown oh wow (laughs) (laughs) He's been doing a lot of shows, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been up to speed? Have with I been his, going to them? Uh, the Ian Brown experience, which yeah. amounts to karaoke. There was a clip during the rounds a week ago, and I kind of was—I didn't put it in the running order because I wondered if it was maybe kind of low-hanging fruit. But like, there has been—he's doing a tour, and it appears he's no band. He's playing to a backing track, and he's not exactly the best singer in the world. Yeah, we've ten seconds of it. I just cut ten seconds because it sounds dreadful. Okay, but cool. Just Go a for little it. taste. This is the brace yourself, listener. <laughs> So yeah, go on, Dave. What was, that reco- what was that recorded on? A fucking Nokia thirty three ten. I imagine your your kind of your common Ian Brown fan would probably be rocking a brick still. I don't know. Wow. Um, but what does that mean? Just that they're all about like fifty. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, lucky. <laughs> Just making sure. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Liam Gallagher has come out and defended the honour of yeah. Ian Brown. Of the um, king, I believe you called him, was he it? He called him the king. As I got into it, by the way, I'm just thinking like 50 isn't even that old. No. I'm not a million miles off 50. Did you just say I'm not a million miles off 50? Well, I'm 34. I mean, oh, okay. I think you know, so, you know, as long like, as I'm closer to it. 50's not old. We're creeping towards 50. 50's yeah, not 50's old. Young. For anyone listening to the show who's in their 40s or is in fact 50, it's not old, okay? All right. 90 years old. Maybe I meant that your regular Ian Brown fan isn't keeping up with the latest and greatest tech and cutting edge stuff by virtue of the fact they're still listening to Ian Brown. Yeah. Do karaoke. I will say it's fair enough because, you know, we talked about Bjork getting, you know, and Kate Bush getting the wrong end of the stick. Maybe it's time for the lads to have a bit of reductive criticism coming <laughs> For sure, way. for sure. And, and hey, jeans. I'm a Stone Roses fan. Are you? So lump me in there. Well, I had the first, first album. I spent yeah. 25 quid on the first album. That's how expensive CDs were back in the day. 25 Irish 25 pounds. quid. Wow, that beats my 23 Irish pens for Stains Break the Cycle I bought on import. I don't think it does. <laughs> well, as no, it literally does in terms of the monetary value. Yeah, but the creative value? <laughs> what, like, you know, if you tr- if you stack it up? I think Aaron Lewis could write... Uh, really? Made of stone. <laughs> but I don't know if Ian Brown could write outside a featuring Fred Durst. Yeah, so for people that don't know, basically Ian Brown's been rocking up to all his gigs, like Sans Band. And there is an amazing thing of like, if you actually watch the footage, there is instruments and stuff t- tucked away to one side of stage because he has a support act who are a band that are playing live oh, <laughs> that and just has like pre-recorded stuff no laptop on stage just some dude I guess with like a mini disc player behind this stage Yeah, and of course Ian Brown not renowned for his vocals anyway not at all um He's not quite phoning it in. Like, he's kind of doing his best. Like, that's as much as you get. I'll tell you what he doesn't have with those gigs. Go on. COVID-19 protocols, am I right? Yeah, this is also the other thing where he's... Ian Brown's always been one of those... Um, 
I can imagine him just sitting around getting stoned, reading every conspiracy theory. So he was like very open to maybe going down the Matt Letizia route. Yeah, big time. What did, uh, what did Leamy G say? Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? Actually getting into what Leamy G said, it wasn't quite the praise I was expecting. So he did call him the king, right? But hold on, he started his tread by comparing Brown to Sid Vicious, that musical genius Sid Vicious, um, writing, In Brown and Sid Vicious My Way, same thing, long live punk. Now, if, have you heard Sid Vicious's cover of My Way? No. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really tuneless and embarrassing. And, Craig um, ragging on a dead man here. Yeah, well, listen. When asked by a fan whether he had seen Brown's embarrassing performance, Gallagher replied, he's never embarrassing, he's the king. <laughs> that's, right, that's what I'm going to say. Anytime anyone says, Dave, you're really embarrassed. I'm never embarrassing. I'm the king. <laughs> Another person asked Leamy G whether he would ever do a show with only a backing track. And this is where he kind of really backs down. He goes, um, I wouldn't do that, but Ian is Ian, and I don't think he's a bad man. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of his mates. What I don't on, think he's a bad man. What on earth? <laughs> it doesn't quite answer my question, but also I, I love him being like, of course I would play with the band. I'm a professional. Oh my God. He's not a bad man. There was talk that John Squire might team up with Liam Gallagher for a little super group. Can't wait, I think to, that would can't be wait to never listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, would you listen to Dave Mustaine and James Hetfield teaming up? Uh, of course. Who wouldn't? Well, Dave Mustaine is very much on board. He said he hopes one day to work with Metallica's James Hetfield again. This, to me, seems a little bit sad. Well, it is, of course, and this is a crucial part of the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful documentary on Netflix at the moment, guys. Metallica, some kind of monster. Yeah. So um, he, Dave Mustaine was talk, was sad about his Metallica status back in 2002 or whenever this thing was made, 2004. Uh, so he's still talking about it, is he? He is. And yeah, just if people don't know, uh, Mustaine was in Metallica for 11 months. Yep. He uh, was thrown out. out in, he was yeah. thrown out because he was like, I think they woke him up because he was just... Because he was Dave Mustaine. He was too out of control on substances and they threw him out. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's gone fully sober now and he's had his own health issues recently. He seems to be doing well, which is great. Um, but yeah, he says he's been secretly hoping there'd be a day where James and I can write together again. I think the world really does want us to do the that. world. <laughs> I think there is a pretty... Pretty good possibility of it happening deadline. Oh my god! Megadeth have had a huge amount of success in continuing. Their own yeah, they're yeah. they're popular um, band somehow. But the world, the world. Like, yeah. Um, Kofi Annan. Is it he, doesn't seem is like he James is, is. Checking. I think Kofi Annan might not. <laughs> I think he is. Whoever the head of the UN is these days. I don't know, Hopefully, or, or hopefully the European Kofi's like still. Ursula von der Leyen and the <laughs> European Union opened her address by saying, "We'll get to the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine in just a moment." But I would like to appeal to the wider world. Could Dave Mustaine and James Heffield please what the world needs now. write a song together? Kofi Annan died in 2018. Ah, rest yeah. in power, Kofi Annan. <sighs> yeah, it doesn't sound like Hetfield is on board because he no. says uh, it's possible that one day James is going to come around and then he and I are going to be able to do something <laughs> to my calls. I guess that's one of the things that has always kept me pushing forward, that's which so is an sad. interesting motivation. <laughs> I think it'd be good for Megadeth. For sure. <laughs> and it could be great for Metallica too. Brilliant. Doesn't he, I'm sorry, doesn't he have a line where he, he describes why he was thrown out of Metallica and his his version of it is brilliant. Like it's... We were all too good or something. Yeah, there was just so much talent and so much personality between the four of us. Um, he says, I don't know that we could have survived. There was destined to be some kind of an explosion at some so point. It, we, we, we were too good. 
like yeah I, I, there was the shots fired at Kirk Hammett by the way really <laughs> like they had to get a lesser player on board the other thing as well by the way uh, that I, I like from this is uh, it, the current I believe you have the current title of the new Megadeth album the title of the new Megadeth album and also the first two singles these are the most and I, I don't listen to this band but these are the most Megadeth like nomenclature I could imagine yeah so one of the singles is We'll Be Back which is straightforward enough the yeah. other one's Soldier On exclamation <laughs> mark but the album title itself <laughs> The Sick The Dying and the dead. It's great. It's <laughs> Putting great. Putting in all the grammatical stuff there. It's it's got your ellipsis. It's got your exclamation mark. It's got everything you could want from a mega. In title. fairness, I can't cite them too hard because some of the song titles on the new Slipknot record are shocking. So you know, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do our top five. Oh wow! Our top five songs about the cold. Get you the electric ready? blanket out, folks. Whack the fire on. Turn up that thermostat. Yes. Don't worry about those heating bills. It's time to fight off the cold. And we've got an opening track to get us in the mood. It's one that was definitely going to feature on both top five, so mm-hmm. I'm excited for this. Here we go. Oh. Saigon. Oh, cold. It's, it's incredible. cold. Incredible. Can you take us back to why this song means so much to me and you? Uh, we just played it a lot in Hot Press, didn't we? One winter, and That's then it. every season thereafter that we were in Hot Press, it was on our Hip Hop Friday playlist. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where I discovered it. But yeah, Saigon's an interesting rapper, actually. He, he pops up in Entourage as himself. Oh yeah, he was in Entourage. That's all I know of him, this and this great song. He's a Brooklyn guy. He had a really rough time, but he was like signed to Atlantic um, like back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005. And he had like cosigns and like production work with Kanye and Just Blaze and stuff good to go. Then Atlantic like wouldn't release his debut for about five years. It was one of those weird situations. Sky Ferreira type thing. Yeah, I think his debut came out in like, 2011, around about the time I was starting in Hot Press. Uh, the Great Story Never Told, and it's brilliant. It's really, really good, but uh, it didn't do a huge amount of work. He's released a, a couple of albums since, and yeah, it's kind of like well received, but we're checking out that debut and this song. Yeah, this oh, song. Man, is I great. think this was on like the deluxe version as well. Oh, wow. It's just okay. like a Lucy. It's cold, so is the name good. of the song. It's got a great video, and like it's the just. The verses yeah. are brilliant as well. Became, yeah, freezing out here. It... Oh, hold on, I've got that drop. Duh. Adam, can you hook us up? <laughs> Especially for you, Dave. Yes. <laughs> Freezing out here. <laughs> oh, you would swear it's winter season. I swear. Yeah, he's oh, he's fucking great. Yeah. It's a great song. Um, and yeah, it's also, it's satisfying to play it at this time of year, isn't it? It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's one of my go-tos. Um, it sounds like just those kind of keys as well. It sounds icy from production to the verses. Pitch shift vocals are really good works. too. Yeah. It's good. It feels almost ahead of its time in a weird way. Yeah, I'd go on board with that. Um, do you want to kick things off? Uh, I think I kicked things off last time. All right, I'll do it. Um, we're going to stick with the hip-hop. Songs about the cold. Songs about the cold, yeah. Um, and I'm leaning very much into um, the bitter aspects of coldness yeah. and how fucking awful it is in every <laughs> regard. And I'm glad of that because it's Baltic and I hate it. Here we go. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
In the kitchen, nothing open for the heat. Got my young light skin hoe rolling up the trees. Wearing jackets in the house since a Michigan wet. Boiling water on the stove, raining noodles for death. Dope fiends up the halfway house and they still snipping. Homie, mommy, 50, smoking and still tripping. Still talking shit with this Lucio mask. Looking, see my breath when I talk, but nigga, I ain't tripping. They want that old Danny Brown. Get back up and sell a whole pan. Danny Brown, it is side A from old 2013 and yeah, just talking about Detroit, which apparently is one of the coldest places on earth. The whole Midwest seems to get really, really rough winters. I've never been there. I'm going to take their word for it. But yeah, every time Eminem starts talking about Detroit, it's just like... Baltic, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> Your word of the day. Phrase, yeah. <laughs> and Danny Brown, this is such a good opener just because this off the back of Triple um, X, which was, I think it was his second album, but his real breakthrough um, around about 2011. That album opens with him saying like, I'm so, I'm colder than like the grits they used to give to slaves or some, there's some really kind of striking opening line of that, but he's kind of like very self-aggrandizing on that. And he's just this like, manic larger than life personality and on this record he opens it very self-deprecating and filling out the picture a little bit and talking as the whole record does about how he's matured and how far he's come from all of the obstacles which he uses he uses the cold and the bitterness and all that imagery of his detroit upbringing to kind of paint the picture of how far he's come um which is something really great about Danny Brown because he can get so like explicit and he's such a tornado of energy that it could be a lot. But he also has this amazing self-deprecating and also like self-debasing <laughs> side to him as well, which is like on the last record, there was times where I felt almost like Bukowski-like where he's like detailing all these little vignettes from his life where you're just like, I can't believe you're admitting to this. This is not a, like this, you're not coming across and you're not trying to come across like the badass rapper here. You're just like, oh, this is something that happened to me and it was not a good look, but it's my life. And yeah, his life was staying warm with the fucking oven open and wearing his jacket around the house and essentially how we're all going to be spending this winter. So timely, I think. Nice, yeah. I'm yeah. sure Pascal Donahue has been blaring it every day <laughs> in, in the in government buildings. Um, interesting, Danny Brown. I mean, like, I, uh, I, I of course, was, was somehow responsible for uh, Danny Brown learning that he was getting the cold shoulder at, oh, yeah. at Forbidden Fruit <laughs> the, uh, all, those, yeah. all those years ago when um, Danny Brown was on in a tent Flying Lotus was due to play after him and Flying Lotus was testing his visuals while Danny Brown was playing and I like tweeted it out and I went I can't believe like fucking Danny Brown's playing while Flying Lotus is testing his visuals I didn't tag anybody and then an hour later Danny Brown like found this tweet quote tweeted me and he was like I'm fucking pissed off right now and I was like oh my god I've started a beef between Danny Brown and Flying Lotus he then deleted the tweet which is very upsetting because I was like I was really getting a kick out of it. I was like, oh my God, yeah. look, look what I've done. Well, it showed how much he'd even matured at that point, right? Because like Fair. the old Donnie Brown would have, um, it was probably a bit difficult backstage. So yeah, you really mm. set him off. It's a festival. I should say as well, on the flip side though, um, you of course did in fact help him heat things up. Oh yeah, I showed him how to use a kettle in <laughs> when he was in Dublin. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't properly plugged in. Um, yeah, I, he, he was a really amiable dude when I interviewed him, uh, and I was very you'll remember this, Dave. I was very concerned prior to the interview because I think literally before I headed over to um, meet him at the venue, there had just been a Guardian article print, uh, published like online with him um, from a few days previously where he was like basically self-admitted that he was using the European tour to get off lean to, to essentially go cold turkey and he was not having a good time of it at all and it seemed like a really difficult interview and I was just like I don't know what state he's going to be in um, 
I also now think, why was he even bothering doing a press? He didn't need to do a hot press interview at that point. He no, should one, have no, just, no one needs he, he to should do have a hot got a press interview, Craig, GP. in general, yeah, I, would, yeah. I, I would argue. <laughs> I should have got a note from my GP not to be there as well. <laughs> but uh, it all turned out okay. And he's a really fascinating dude. Yeah, I just ended up talking about like love forever changes and like joy division and stuff with him. Um, he's got some really interesting influences. I think he's made a couple of masterpieces. A lot of time for him. He's great. An incredibly distinct style as well. Yeah, okay, for sure. so uh, for my number five, let, let's have an artist uh, who has something of a frosty relationship with his own oh, song. Frosty, I like it. I'm bleeding. My cold little arm. Oh, I can't stand myself. That is the fabulous, the towering, cold little heart by the wonderful Michael Kuwanuka, who I interviewed at Electric Picnic one year. It was day three of the festival, and I was also in a similar mode of, like, not quite nervous, but I was just, like, not up for it because I was so fucking done at that point. Yeah. And there was talk of, like, oh, you know, he's running late, and, you know, maybe we won't get to do this. And I was very much like, that is totally fine. By me. All good. And then, of course, he showed up, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And, of course... What a bro! <laughs> I am far. We've all been there. I'm far from that. On day three of picnic, at like eight o'clock at I night. Know, I know. But of course, uh, he was fantastic. He was charming. He was cool. He was enthusiastic. He was passionate. He seemed like a dead-on guy that I would love to hang out with on a different in a different set of circumstances. And even in like a quick five to ten minute chat backstage of the festival before his set, just great. Really, really cool. Won me over. His music is fantastic and has been continually winning me over. Of course, he would go on to make the third album, Kubanuka, win the Mercury Prize. Yeah, and so. Can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, Cold Little Heart, however, is something I was calling cards, certainly for an American audience, because um, it is on the show Big Little Lies. Um, so I've got an excerpt here from Guardian piece from 2019. <laughs> Uh, three paragraphs which I think are quite interesting. While Michael Kuanuka was making his second album, Love and Hate, a few years ago, the 10-minute opening track, Cold Little Heart, 10 minutes, there is a radio edit, but like the builds, one of those tracks where like it just keeps fucking moving, 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 and then finally kicks in. Not unlike uh, Sebastian Tellier's La Ritournelle, Craig, I would say. Oh, yeah. But definitely a little bit different in a way. Um, not this, as good. This track, apparently, <laughs> uh, debatable. Not as good. It's not as good. Uh, it's very good, though. But yeah, <laughs> La Ritonelle is one of those ones. Cold Little Heart, though, was in fact Michael Kuanuka's nemesis, it says here. Every time it reappeared on the studio schedule, his heart sank. So he was gratified when, in 2016, he learned that this hard-won song would appear in a new HBO miniseries called Big Little Lies. He assumed it would feature in just one scene. It was only when his social media following spiked and his US tour dates sold out immediately after the series debuted that he realised it was the actual theme tune. America, which had previously ignored him, was suddenly paying attention, albeit only to one song. At every promotional appearance, he had to play Cole Little Heart. He was even invited to perform it on the Californian bridge featured in Big Little Lies, but he politely declined. He jokes that his US label would love it if he included Cold Little Heart on his new album, Kuanuka, which he was recording then, of course, it would just come out, uh, as well. He looks as if this is possible, apologetically annoyed. Quote, I don't want to be an ungrateful entitled artist, but I do have other music. And he's got lots of fucking incredible other music, to be fair. Um, And if you've never heard him, listener, I would highly recommend listening to pretty much any of his albums. Like, they're all brilliant. He's so talented. And I do love this song. I think he loves it too. But, like, I mean, it clearly represented a hell of a struggle for him to get it done. And I guess if it then becomes, you know, 
uh, this is the one that we want and we don't care about whatever else. I think artists have that kind of weird relationship, that kind of cold relationship, if you will, with some of their songs. Whether it's whether it's a Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire, or whether well, it's you know, well, you know, the deserved. point. I'm, well, of course, but the point I'm making is you have these tracks that become your calling card and become like you know, like Radiohead's creep, show yeah. and play the hits, or like you know, Bart Simpson say the line type stuff, where it's like, I I I, I don't know. I mean, like obviously a weird position for someone to be in, but like part of me always goes, well, at least you have that. I mean, it must be a hell of a yeah. yeah, it must be a hell of a thing to be like. I'm not saying like you know, hey, listen, you know, it's obviously complicated, and I think Mike Kunuk obviously comes across as someone who's incredibly forthright and like isn't saying fuck this song or anything like that. And it, and and it's such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. I can see why people would fall so hard for it, but it just got me thinking about artists who turn their back on certain songs because they feel like they're a jukebox. And we've had this conversation. Yeah. We'll probably continue to like you shouldn't treat an artist like a jukebox, but unless it's Ian Brown. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, I mean, a literal jukebox, yeah. <laughs> Treats himself like a jukebox, as Adam says. But I mean, like, I, I think it's that, it's that weird kind of, you know, push-pull of, like, part of me is, like, I would love, <laughs> I'm not a musician, but I'm, like, or someone who can sing, but I would fucking love to have a hit song. To just be, like, that's there forever. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, like, maybe people just feel like, as he says, that I have a lot more than this. But, like, what a thing it must be, though, to have one thing and that's usually what it fucking takes to just change your world and make people like pay attention to you yeah I don't know it just got me thinking about like the relationship between musicians and their music when they go in a path that maybe they didn't expect that brings fame and fortune and success yada yada but also somehow becomes this albatross around their neck and no I don't think even if it brings that success I mean it's so hard to just you know practice gratitude yeah. when you're living it every day like at a certain point you're just like I'm exhausted from this for sure yeah work you know and this really didn't hinder him creatively because like I say Kiwanuka the album follows this and it's fucking brilliant like mm. it's so good he's an excellent musician and I do love this song so I was gonna pick Snow by JJ72 but I picked this instead a good choice uh, although I do like Snow as well I'd love to hear that at the moment uh, okay uh, my next pick is from an artist who has thousands and thousands of songs and maybe albums but doesn't have to worry about like one of those songs being an albatross around his neck because uh, none of them were hits <laughs> I go outside and it's cold I walk downtown and it's cold Everything that I'm told The people like me So look on the feet And if it's not one thing Then it's ten I shouldn't have to be told So I just keep yeah, we haven't had Guided by Voices in a couple of months. So it's Bob Pollard from 1987 and a song that didn't appear till around about 2000 because... Uh, that quality control, that famous Bob Pollard quality control, uh, came out like on a compilation called Suitcase, which had like a hundred songs on it, and there's been about five of them since then. Uh, Guided by Voices have released seventeen albums now since they, their second reunion uh, about four years ago. Three albums out this year. Um, hit those up. But every now and again, he comes up with an absolute gem. This is one of them. I love this uh, deeply because it's so desolate and it's got like a Paul McCartney level, like very simple but great melody that could be kind of chirpy and sunshiny. But it's just tied to this tale of like using the cold as like a metaphor for never really being comfortable um, and 
that kind of feeling of the entire world being somewhat inhospitable. And as the kind of song goes on, he's talking about, you know, I go to the bar because it's the only place you can kind of feel warm. And it's a little gem. It's a little jewel. Um, I mentioned Bob when, I think the last top five he was on was when we were doing like artists that made it like in their later years kind of thing. Um, and he's like a great example of that. I don't, I can't really remember if we talked about his, speaking of nemesis or nemeses, did we talk about his nemesis? I think I forgot to mention it last time. Continue. I stumbled across when I was researching last time and it was hilarious. Did we talk about this? I don't remember. Okay, so Bob Pollard is from Dayton, Ohio, a pretty small place in kind of middle America again. Um, I stumbled across this interview with him from like years back where he was talking about like going to his high school reunion, getting kicked out for getting too drunk and blah, blah, blah. But also he was talking about this guy he went to high school with um, called Frank Myers. Frank Myers is actually a bit of a like country music sensation, right? I'd never heard of him. But uh, yeah, the interviewer says, you went to high school with Frank Myers, who's a very popular country songwriter. Do people from Northridge, which is just outside Dayton, uh, consider him to be more successful than you? Uh, <laughs> the quote from Bob Pollard's great. So he goes, yeah, to them, he's the shit. I'm still minor league. He lives in Nashville in a mansion, so people think he's made it. I tell people, more people know about me than Frankie Myers, but they don't believe me. <laughs> this is the best bit. What's ironic is that he was my backup quarterback in high school, which is like very stranger things. Now most people think he surpassed me with music, but he can't write songs like I can, so I'm still ahead of him. Jesus. Uh, I, Andy I Gray, to, like needless to say, I had the last laugh. I know, it really is. Alan Partridge, Andy Gray, same thing. I had to Google... Um, Frank Myers and it turns out that he was one of the writers of the song I Swear really? yeah so like pretty massive he won a Grammy for it who sang uh, he's that? living in oh god what was it Was it? that's like I swear yeah, yeah that really cheesy boy band moon and the stars in the sky very simply read very simply read yeah um, I'll be there I'll be what, what there the, it's something with four in the title isn't it let's have a quick google I swear which yeah the dude who wrote I Swear became a big Nashville star and he was the backup quarterback of the guy in It's GPB. all for one. All for, all for one. one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a hell of a it. song. Oh. It's an, like it's an R&B soul song. Yeah. And this Frank Myers... I feel like there's been loads of versions of it. Wow. Um, yeah, Frank J. Myers wrote it with Gary Baker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dayton, Ohio. Um, wow. Wellspring of creativity. It was a hit for a country music artist. So the, so the I Swear that we all know is a cover. Was it his? Was, yeah. was it him doing it? Frank I Myers? swear, it's a song written by Gary Baker and Frank J. Myers that became a hit for American country music artist, artist sorry, John Michael Montgomery in 1993, and then for American R&B group All for One in 1994. Wow, I can um, hear it being a country song. Like every day is a school day. I swear, that's my number four. <laughs> Incredible. Um, Adam, can we get a quick uh, count on how many times Craig has picked guided by voices? I'm going to say three. Checking. I'm going to say four, maybe five. They were definitely in short songs. Um, they were definitely obviously in the kind of latter day artists and I don't think there's been anything more than that it's four, four. okay okay alright All right. Uh, speaking of four here's my number four
man, that is a fucking... I mean, like, I, I think I like the song more than I realised. This is So Cold by one of the most hilarious band names ever, Breaking Benjamin. <laughs> Do you know who they are, Craig? No, but uh, Breaking Benjamin. Yeah. It's, it feels very... It's not new metal. It's like post grungy. It's new metal, I think. Is it? Yeah, uh, their frontman's called Benjamin Burnley, so he named his band Breaking Benjamin. But do you know what? He's very much so in that lineage of um, what I think is now known as um, Herm Jarl, which is a style of singing which it comes from. One more time, please, Herm Jarl, because that's kind of the way you sing it. It's it's. Um, I think it started with with Pearl Jam. Yeah, so you can imagine yeah. Eddie Vedder being like Herm. But I think that's very much in that mode. Earnest and powerful. Yeah, earnest and powerful. And yet this is the only Breaking Benjamin song I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, I rewatched. I actually watched the the fucking director's cut of Daredevil. (laughs) Ben Affleck, Colin Farrell, Daredevil, which... Craig is losing his mind. Why is that so funny? No, Just the director's cut, I don't know. Director's cut. Do you know who's in the director's cut that wasn't in the theatrical cut? I feel like I know... Coolio. Coolio? Yes. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. So there you go. Wow. That's weird. Um, that is weird. Full circle, listener. I think I watched it the night before he died, possibly. That's weird. Or maybe the night before that. Does Eric so, Cantona crop up? No, he doesn't. No, no, no. Uh, the director's cut of Daredevil, 2003 is Daredevil, which is like the R-rated cut. Uh, not a good movie. Colin Farrell's having a lot of fun in it, though. Uh, and that's kind of why I watched it, just to see him kind of having a laugh as an Irish assassin called Bullseye, who, by the way, I should say, he's the villain of the piece, but the very first two people he murders in this movie are both racists, so I'm like, how's this guy the villain? <laughs> there's like some English guy who's like, get out of here, you Irish piece of trash, and he like kills him with some paper clips. Then there's a woman on a plane, and I wonder if this was director's cut only, but she's making some weird commentary about black people, and then he like murders her with a peanut, and then says his first line of dialogue when like a stewardess comes over and goes, oh, she's sleeping, can I get you anything else? And Colin Farrell in the space of three words has never sounded more Irish. He just goes more peanuts please. That's excellent. (laughs) Anyway, why do I mention this? Because if Daredevil came out in 2004 when this song So Cold by Breaking Benjamin came out it would 100% be in the soundtrack because the soundtrack to that movie is fucking hilarious. There are two Evanescent songs in Daredevil. Two of them. (laughs) And it is the two of course. So anyway, I actually love this song on Ironically. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, However, Daredevil didn't inspire this movie. 28 Days Later did. So frontman Benjamin Burnley said, I was in New York when I wrote the song around about 2003. It was wintertime, so it was really cold. And I was totally cut off from the world in this really cool hotel in Manhattan that's not there anymore. It was a bit of a lonely time. I was by myself and just doing my best to write this record. I didn't really think it was all that great at first, but I was in a bad place in my mind back then. Uh, then I took off and it was a huge success for us I'm glad I was in that dark space because I owe my whole career to it um, it's a really like you know I really enjoyed hearing it on Adam's speakers there and Adam turned to me before we played it and he was like this is fucking great I love it and I, I think it's one of those ones that just like kind of exists it's always on like new metal playlists it's a really good gym song it's definitely WWE pay-per-view montage riffic I love it I miss songs like this and I think I, I love the Herm Jarl of it all I love the <laughs> drama of it all and I do think, as new metal tracks go or alt rock tracks go, it's very poppy in a way. Maybe so. we should do a Herm Yarl top five. Oh, that would be a, that would be fucking amazing. Don't rule it out. If, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'll get thinking. Oh yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah, no yeah, we'll, special. We'll discuss it. Anyway, that's my number four. So cold by Breaking Benjamin. Nice. Okay, here's what I listen to in the gym. <laughs>
you listen to this you listen to this in the gym, do you? I don't go to the gym. Adam, can we have my number three, please? And when I listen to in the gym, please. <laughs> So there you have it, Greg. It's a tie. Taking a bronze. We've actually, like, the crossover has happened and we both picked a number three. It is, of course. It is Madonna and it's Frozen from the Ray of Light album, which came out in 1998. Um, summertime for Humanity Eve. Um, and very yeah, good. thank you very much. Uh, it was a bit laboured, but we got there. And probably my favourite Madonna album um, she was really in her bag as like, you know, musical chameleon at this point, really shaking things up. She worked with William Orbit, um, who's doing all those kind of very orbity bleeps and bloops. Yeah, did and he makes pr- like, Adam was just wondering, like, did he produce Pure Shores? Because that sound, like, that, that's in it. The bop, bop. Well, yeah, Adam was saying, um, Adam's just checking. as we were listening to it, he's like, there's about four different um, samples going on simultaneously there. And I was, yeah, I wasn't aware of like what's all the different layers that are being used. There's definitely kind of very North African musical influences in there. There's very, very William Orbity stuff happening on top of it. It was around about the time of Pure Shores, but I, I can't, I didn't read anywhere about like kind of major samples, so I'm wondering. But it is very um, evocative, it's very icy. It's, you know, frozen as a metaphor. It's about having an icy heart. Um, and it's probably, is it my favourite Madonna song? It might just be. I have it right oh, up man, there with like, like a prayer. No, I would have La Isla Bonita. Oh, oh really? William Morbid, William Morbid did produce Pure Shores. Oh, and he that's just took from this. But hold on, it's not, but it's not actually officially sampling it, is it? It's, it's the same instrument. That's, in there you go. Chords, but it's, from a producer's perspective, it's lazy. It's pretty fucking lazy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like if you're, if you stumble songs, across though. that sound and you write, or co-write Pure Shores and You're fucking Frozen. Years apart as well. Oh, yeah. man, he was in a real purple patch. 98, 99, um, man. And he produced Blur's 13, the year after. He also put out, he put out an album of his own and it was like pieces in a modern style or something. He did like, you know, Adagio for strings and whatever and it was like, at the time, he was the guy and then yeah. that album tanked. And then and he, he just, just kind of he faded. He just kind of faded, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was very... But this song was met with... I remember my fucking English teacher coming in and being like, have you heard the new Madonna song, lads? It's terrible. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. People didn't like this one. But then I'm, I'm looking at some of the critical reaction here, right? So... Uh, some people said it was good, like Slant Magazine said it was one of the great pop masterpieces of the late 1990s. Billboard's Paul Vernon described the song as smashing. Uh, in a separate <laughs> review for Billboard, we've Larry Flick uh, called it a stunning foray into the realm of electronica, which underground purists and unwavering pop stars will equally applaud. But not everyone loved it, Craig. There was a chorus, some oh. people saying that it wasn't great. Um, NME... <laughs> said the song yeah, was... me in the late 90s didn't like it, what? They said, and I quote, another pile of her usual weepy old bollocks. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, tepid Pop, The Guardian said it was a tremulous song that Ray Light could have done without. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. I think it's the best thing on Ray Light. And it's one of the... Like, Ray Light is a very strong record, but this is just by far the kind of centrepiece and the masterpiece of the record. Uh, yeah, no, I was just saying I have it like right up there with Lila Bonita. Uh, as probably my two favourite Madonna songs that is quite kind of warm and fiery and this is just like a prayer the third one is it? video for it it was like um, she's like out in the desert 
and she is she's like dressed up in very kind of gothic I think she's called herself that kind of character was supposed to be kind of witchy not to upset York but she's got <laughs> hand tattoos yeah she looks yeah. cool um, it's, and got it's, a, it's, it's got a blue filter all over it yeah um, I think she just kind of turned 40 and she talked a lot about um where she was at in her life at that point. Because it felt like for for a bit of the 90s, she seemed a bit rudderless creatively. Yeah. There was the, like, she put out the sex book and people were like, well, you know, where is she kind of going? She went into movies, of course. She went into movies. I mean, she'd gone to movies in the 80s, but like 90s, like she'd a league of their own, she'd body of evidence. Uh, Evita, of Evita course. was a big hit. Yeah, it's probably her biggest hit, right? That was her biggest success in, in the uh, flicks. I guess there is a no popcorn episode of Evita, by the way, if everyone wants to go back and check that out. Because I remember being shocked when I finally got around to Evita to realise that it is a musical that never stops being a musical. There's barely any, like, standard dialogue Yeah, scenes. yeah, yeah. It is constant singing and songs for two hours. Antonio Banderas is great in it. He's great in everything. He really fucking Fair is. Him. Have you seen class. Pain and Glory? Yes, I love it. Oh, I man. love it. It's I've seen it a couple so of times. Uh, it was on, I don't know if it's still on movie, but it was on movie for a good year or so, and I kept dipping back into it. It's a fucking great he's film. He's a great actor, I love him. And he's the guy who can do trash and come back to it. Can Madonna do trash and come back to it? I'm hoping she can come back. Do you know what I mean? Because it's been, it's kind of been trashy for a while, but she's come back so many, many times. And I do feel like she gets unfair an unfair ribbing. She's working with Mike Dean at the moment, which is pretty great. Really? Mike Just, Dean, huh? Wow. Mike Dean of Kanye West and The Weeknd. Oh, the frying pan. <laughs> 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 uh, he needs to work with someone mellow, for Christ's sake. Well, we're warming up and we're getting to the tail end of our list now. So uh, we both picked Frozen by Madonna for number three. Yes. What is your runner-up? Um, this is my runner-up. <laughs> you take the skyway High above the busy little one way In my stupid hat and gloves at night I lie awake Wondering if I'll sleep Wondering if we'll meet out in the street Another kind of classic Craig pick, The Replacements. Uh, but I had to include it because it's one of the best songs ever written. It's Skyway. Do you know much about the Minneapolis uh, Skyway system, Dave? <laughs> Can I just shock you? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> You've just blown my mind. I didn't until I read up about it. But um, That's usually how these things work, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It's a place where you can get happily lost, they tell you on the official website. It's the largest contiguous uh, system of enclosed second-level bridges in the world. Keep talking. Composed of 9.5 miles of pathways connecting eight E-City blocks. So essentially this is because Minneapolis, again, Midwest, is so cold in the winters that the businesses were like, we need to keep people in the shops so we'll get them out of the cold and just have all these kind of raised platforms so you never have to go outside. So this song is about Paul Westerberg making his daily route um, in the kind of bitter cold and looking up to Skyway and some kind of girl catching his eye and it resolves with him eventually taking the Skyway and then he looks down and she's on the path <laughs> it's, it's cheesy as hell but it works because he's a brilliant writer and it's got really nice kind of details that are like gloriously pathetic where he's just, just that you know that clip there he's like my stupid hat and gloves and it's kind of a miserable little song that is also incredibly beautiful on the 12 string which always works I think there was a, like a sky I don't know if it still exists was there one at the back of Brown Thomas oh don't try and compare like some Irish attempt at this I feel like, like there mean, was one somewhere in Dublin I think it was Brown Thomas but that is what the Skyway kind of thing is um, and yeah like the replacement started as a hardcore band they were very rough and ready 
Uh, they were a kind of punk act, very sloppy, had incredible songs. This is like 1987 when finally he was like, I can do ballads and I can break <laughs> out like a zither <laughs> and, oh, man. and not be slagged by the rest of my band. And they never quite made it, but um, I guess they did in the long run because they're a tremendous band with a lot of respect. So rare that the zither gets a shout out on No Encore. Yeah. Have we all seen The Third Man with the incredible zither yeah, score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll yeah. have you in a dither with a zither. Um, he also mentioned hardcore there. I saw a clip today on Twitter. <laughs> of a hardcore band playing somewhere in presumably America, right? And do you know what was playing on the screens behind them with subtitles on? Go on. Seinfeld. I was like, get me into this gig now. This sounds amazing. It looks incredible. The band is fucking roaring out and there's Jerry and Elaine having a chat in the I background. Do- I was doing an interview with a clinical psychologist uh, this week just for work and um, one of the things... Thinly they- veiled brag, but go on. One of the things they recommend... It was, it was for a piece on like um, breaking bad habits and stuff like that and one of the things they recommended was something called the Seinfeld system. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this. No. But Jerry Seinfeld apparently came up with it and it's really basic and I don't think he did come it's up with it. It's about dating women like, like half your age or... It is. It's every day you go on a date with a 17-year-old <laughs> you make an X on a calendar. Now, it's when you do a task for a day you make an X with it and you have like this board in your office or wherever you're doing the thing and you have to do it every day and it forms a chain and actually there is a scientific basis for if you start making a chain you're going to stick to it because you get kind of obsessed with the kind of continuity of it that does sound very Seinfeld. I can imagine him totally doing that. I guess. And there's other stuff I don't want to imagine him doing. Yeah, well, is there any reckoning coming for Seinfeld? Uh, it doesn't seem to be, no. no. It doesn't seem to be. Uh, he gave us a great show. Yeah. What are you going to do? Larry he, David. He's the Jimmy work. Page of television. Jesus Of Christ. the sitcom. Bring Larry him back. David. See, Frasier's coming back, your beloved Frasier. Do we want to talk about Frasier for a second? Just for a second. I will say that the yeah. Hollywood Reporter put out an image, right? And it was like, they're back. And they put up an image of, and I'm, I'm not getting here, Frasier, Niles, and the dad. So I was like, this implies... And Eddie was in it Eddie, as well, who's but long like, since passed. But I'm like, this implies that John Mah- Smiling John Mahoney has not, in fact, been dead for the last four years. <sighs> so, you know, I don't know. The modern science. Craig believes that Frasier is the greatest sitcom of all time, so I can only yeah, presume, I have it over Seinfeld, which is ridiculous. I can I can a ridiculous opinion. Uh, I can only it's just far funnier. I can I mean. only, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can only presume that you met this news with delight and trepidation. Uh, not delight so much as complete trepidation. Okay. I don't think it's going to work. It's uh, it's not the original writers. I believe the showrunners are the creators of um, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, that's over. not good. Uh, it's Paramount, Paramount Plus. It's like Paramount streaming service so God knows if we'll even be able to find it cash grab it's um, yeah it's like Frasier's move to a new city so there's going to be like no Niles unless he like pops up for like a little guest spot no kind of like none of the no Roz none of the other characters it's him with a whole new cast of characters and yeah I don't know if I'm really up for it there's also the whole thing of like in the years since Kelsey Grammer has been quite like visible as like he's a bit of a I think he was right a Trump wing? supporter yeah 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 there's weird stuff around his marriage he's, he kind of seems like the anti Fraser, and he's an actor he's like he's playing a role <laughs> but it's just you know without the others it, the whole thing feels a bit what sour. city would you like to see him in um, how about Bucharest Minneapolis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay Bucharest. we're going to change the tone drop now. him into Kiev and see what happens Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay, we can um, yeah, look at Roger Waters. Kelsey's coming for you. Uh, so here's the thing, right? Um, we had some wistful contemplation. Now we're going to turn it up with my number two. How the fuck you going to start with me? I'm a heavyweight in this game. You just fall with me. You get dropped. Throw them on peace. Stand for my bitch. Don't, don't, don't. 
get it twisted. I told you that we top of the line design realistic. For instance, mash out myself. We're come to a click, dump it in. It's M.O.P. It's Cold as Ice, yeah. which of course samples the Foreigner song of the exact same name. I, I really don't have a lot of backstory here or detail. I picked it because it's an adrenaline shot that I absolutely love. That's kind of all I have to say about it. I think it's incredible. I think it holds up. I think it's brilliant. Is it better than Anti Up? Is that their best song? What's their best song? Anti Up for me. I listen. Do to we Anti think Anti Up is their best song? Okay, yeah. okay. You listen to it at least once a week. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> like if you're you know. If you're up in the morning and you're like, I don't fancy facing the day, stick on Auntie Up and you're ready to face the world. That's fair. That, that was definitely in the top five, I think, wasn't it? It was well, like so motivating songs. Playlist. Auntie Up would be 100%. Go, yeah. I have to get this gym playlist of yours. But yeah, I, honestly, I'm happy to move on real quick here. I just want to shout that song out. It fucking rules. Fucking Cold does, as Ice yeah, by yeah. MOP. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous song. And here's my number one. Um, deceptively sunshiny, but bitter underneath. Bit like myself. Stopped into a church. Passed along the way The Mamas and the Papas, California Dreaming. And yeah, I mean, when this comes on, you immediately think of so many Hollywood films, I guess, and just like sun drenched and, you know, the beach and all that kind of stuff. And it is the quintessential California sound, just those harmonies. But it's actually rooted in the Phillipses moving to New York back in the very early 60s before it was a Mamas and a Papas and not liking a New York winter one bit and just being like, we've never experienced snow before. This isn't a winter wonderland. This is awful. I wish we could get back to the West Coast. And so the song, they were just like really going through the mill apparently at the time. Um, John Phillips would be kind of up all night. Off his face trying to write songs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, came up with this kind of in the depths of winter. Came up with the first verse. The second verse was added um, based on like a trip to St. Peter's or something. And he hated the verse and was convinced to keep it in because he had some being responded about religion due to his upbringing, which is totally fair enough. But I think it actually sets the song alike completely. It's the best thing about it. I love that kind of image of just like taking shelter in a church and like the preacher being like rubbing his hands together and being like, yeah, keep it freezing outside. Stop these people leaving. And it just works on so many different levels. Just has that great thing of like the Californian sunshine being this symbol of like liberation and the cold being this oppressive Course. and it just sounds great it still sounds magical it's just pure 60s I love it yeah and it's also one of the songs that's so like violently overused in pop culture yeah, but I'm, yeah, but I'm never sure. I'm never like it's never unwelcome yes and like even when it's used in a hacky way like such a like a cheat code and like you know a film of the time period or whatever it's just such a terroring I keep using the word terroring is my word of the day uh, Baltic is yours but I, but I feel like it, it's just brilliant like it's flawless it's perfect and it sums up so many emotions and again as well yeah it's that thing of like when you look under the hood, it's actually really melancholic and yeah. kind of, you know, bitter in a way. And Some great covers of it as well. The Bobby Ormack one's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, the one in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I can't remember who did that. I think Jose, someone, uh, which is great as well. 
So yeah, you do get kind of new folds and new takes on it. So it's it's going to be around forever. It's evergreen. Yeah, my number one is, I mean, is it evergreen? I think it kind of is because I think it's like perfect for this time of year. And it's also a nice short song. It's like under two and a half minutes just. Oh. Pitchfork said it was the fifth best song in 2008. And here it is. Yes, it's the soundtrack to her recession, Adam says. Uh, Good stuff. It's White Winter Hymnal by Fleet Foxes. It is the lead single from their debut album. Self-titled record, which also has the track Mykonos, which is amazing. I loved this album at the time. I was in college at the time, and I remember very, very vividly, like, making the trek up and down to DCU in, like, you know, the darker, colder, wetter, icier evenings. Baltic evenings of the time. The winds around those buildings. Oh, yeah. The Henry Grattan building. Jesus. And it was like... But this was, like, always kind of never far from my ears. Mm. And I just... I really associated with that time period and just kind of, like, drifting around aimlessly and trying to fucking make sense of where I was going in life. I think it's a really, really good companion. It's a beautiful song, and I think it is, even beyond, like, just, like, you know, the the title and whatever, it's just instantly evocative of cold and warming up and trying to like you know adapt to the elements and just yeah. this time of the year and I think it's like a warm hug as well I think I think it's beautiful uh, I think it's gorgeous it's coral they're an act I haven't really kind of gone with though um, to the point where even the most recent album which was very acclaimed I just couldn't get into it and I've never really held I've kind of put them at arms like beyond that first record and beyond the kind of songs that really kind of wear with me as yeah. I was moving through the world they had a real moment and I think there's a kind of innocence about them where I don't know if you can sustain that, particularly when you're kind of jaded like we are. There's, there was something just really pure and like of the moment and kind of going back to that earnest thing of just like it was a moment in time and you look back and I'm being like, shit, yeah, I got swept up in that and it was brilliant and songs were brilliant, but I can't go back really. Or, you know? Yeah, and that's and there is a cold kind of sadness to that as well, like yeah, the not yeah, being able sure. to go back thing. I mean, like... It wasn't the best time of my existence or anything, but, you know, your brain tricks you and you're like, I kind of would like to be wandering those halls again, freezing cold, listening to this, you know, just like, I don't know, there was just like a different feeling. But go on. Yeah, um, I think this is Evergreen and also spawned a lot of great covers, <laughs> one of which I've actually got a clip of, Dave, because I suffered through this and now you have Did to. Did you anticipate that I was going to pick this? I, I was thinking of including this, but I, I for some reason I did, because I, I was sticking to my stringent thing of like mention the cold more as opposed to the snow or something sure, like sure, that. Sure, sure, I got you. Um, but I did stumble across, do you know Alexander Armstrong? The guy from the Armstrong guy from, and Miller. Yeah, and, and pointless. pointless. And also he's a very like into himself classical slash jazz singer as well oh, and he's no. released like lots of albums <laughs> and he's very he gets very very like Fraser Crane about like I am now going to sing you a song he covered this we've just got the intro but this will haunt you oh no I was following the I 
was following the eye was following the eye was following the eye was following the eye was following Jesus yeah that's all we go for I was following the eye all those fucking layered vocals have you seen the film Men from this year no I haven't Alex Garland's the Jesse Buckley movie okay I didn't dig it um, but there's a choral refrain in it that Jesse Bucky does and that was very similar yeah. it's meant to be haunting and kind of creeping up and in, you know dangerous and stuff is he serious? oh he's deathly serious about the singing yeah, yeah. <laughs> seek out some clips of him doing his thing and he's yeah it's that because he was classically kind of trained back in the day and then I think like the comedy took off I haven't really seen much of his comedy I used to stuff. watch Armstrong and Miller back in like the 90s or whatever it was on I think BBC2 maybe it was Channel 4 I think it might have been BBC2 and I loved it for a time I thought it was really really funny yeah. Tim and a guy called Ben Miller and then yeah it was like all of a sudden like years later Alexander Armstrong emerges as like the host of this game show and I guess he's like a author and stuff is he? like he's yeah. Yeah, I think he's like an author. He has a, a show on Classic FM. Wow. And I think, yeah, just once he kind of made his name, he's like, my first love, my real passion, back to his like, music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> covering Fleet Foxes. <laughs> Christ. I know that this song was used, I know that not this version, but the original version of White Winter Hymnal, of course, was used as like, uh, music on like a Spanish lottery ad at Christmas last year. Oh, yeah. So maybe there is something in the recessionary kind of element to it, but yeah, that's our top five songs about the cold. I feel kind of warmed up after that. Yes. Um, I guess to wrap up, uh, wrap up warm and nothing sounds warmer than an episode of No Encore conducted by Sonic Architect Adam. Uh, I should note though, you asked me at the start of the show how I was doing on spooky season in terms of watching horror movies and stuff. Mm. Have you watched any? Um, I, I rewatched Midsommar. Oh, Midsummer. Why would Midsummer. you? Why would you ever watch that film more than once? Because the first time I saw it, I was watching it at home, and I wasn't properly concentrating. I think I was doing some work on the side or something, and I was kind of flicking back and forth between it. And I did enjoy it. Wow! It's um, it's a very long film for a film with no third act, really. Yeah. Um, and actually, it wasn't really. It didn't scratch the itch. It was kind of aiming to scratch where I was like yeah I think our, our, you talking about horror films last week I was like I'll stick something on and it just like flashed up on Netflix but it's as people that have seen the film will know it's all shot completely in the brightness and in the middle of summer and stuff so it doesn't really give you that creepy vibe it's creepy I just didn't like it Florence Pugh is brilliant in it she is brilliant um, in it but I just didn't like the movie yeah aesthetically it looks great and yeah the story doesn't quite work for me Nah. Um, but yeah, that was that was the last one. Any I more plans to watch any more scary movies? Yeah, but I don't know what. Any recommendations? Tons of recommendations, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know what you've seen, though. Um, obviously, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, original Halloween, Japanese Ring. Uh, what else? I don't know. I mean, like, even though I'm not off to a great start myself. I've watched some bad ones. I've seen your letterbox. Yeah, my uh, letterbox, <laughs> it's uh, no underscore encore. Just look for Dave Hanrady on letterbox. You'll get me there. Like, what have I watched lately? Um, have you seen Hellraiser? Like the original Hellraiser? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seen Hellraiser. Hellraiser's Girl great. Hellraiser. And there's a new one coming out on Friday, which I do want to see. Um, and I, my thoughts, my, my feelings are it probably won't be very good, but I do want to see it. Um, How I, many Hellraisers has it been at this point? Oh, there's like, be about 10? I think, <laughs> well, this seems like a reboot or something, but like okay. this is, I think this is like number 11, possibly. Uh, I watched a film called The Collector, which is a really bad Saw knockoff. It's just nasty and gross. But then, of course, I had to watch the next one, which was The Collection. This is a film, Craig, in which a man kills an entire nightclub full of people. Oh, I, yeah. was, I was like, it was he kills a nightclub full of people. This is so dumb. Yeah. Collection. Uh, I also watched a film that ended with an acoustic cover of Rob Zombie's Dragula. <laughs> A, p- a somber piano straight out of like you know 2007 version of that uh, what would I recommend for you uh, the original Alien of course it's a horror yeah, movie yeah I love that 
Have you seen 28 Weeks Later, the sequel to 28 Days Later? I don't think I actually have, no. You've seen 28 Days Later? Yes, I have, yeah. 28 Weeks Later might actually be the better one. Okay, maybe I'll watch that. It's very, very good. And I guess I'm just looking back on some old horror lists that i kind of done in recent years. Rosemary's Baby, that's great. Yeah, watched that last Halloween, I think. Uh, what else? What else have I got here? Suspiria, the original and the remake. I prefer the original. I haven't seen the remake still. Oh, right saying there's a no popcorn episode on Suspiria. There's a no popcorn episode on Suspiria versus Suspiria. Yeah. Um, it Follows. Have you seen It Follows? Um... I think have you'd, I seen it? Follows. I think you'd really like it. Okay. It's about like a sexually transmitted ghost, essentially. No, no, I haven't. For it follows. It it's enough. really fucking good and aesthetically fantastic with a great, great score. Okay, I'm going to watch It Follows. It Follows is my recommend for All you. Right. And for you, listener. Uh, the Thing, of course, you know? Love The Thing, The yeah. Thing. I believe The Lighthouse are showing it, possibly. Oh, love to see it. Coming thing. up. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty, you know? The Descent, good movie. Do enjoy the descent. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I don't know. Yeah, I'll just get amongst it and see what happens. Get amongst it. Back. Get amongst it, everybody. We'll catch and, up next week. And get yourself on patreoncom noancore if you want to support the show. New episode of Noancore coming soon. I swear. In the meantime, we're all off to battle the colds. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. Do you want to try the intro again? No, I think I'm gonna sneeze. That's okay. There has been no encore. There has been no encore. There will, there will be, be no, no encore. encore. And there might be an encore. There might be an encore. Uh, Who knows? Stay safe. Wrap up warm. Good night. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.